Hello and welcome to Rapids Fire, the Accelerated Data Science Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Mahler. My guest this week is Marlene Mangami, and she is a director and vice chair of the Python Software Foundation. She founded a nonprofit in Zimbabwe to teach girls how to code. She's the chair of PyCon Africa. She's worked on bringing Rapids to Windows, and she made a huge career pivot. This was a really interesting conversation for me, and I hope you enjoyed as well. I'll be back at the end. Thanks. Marlene, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. I will begin asking you, like I ask all my guests, uh, how did you end up here today? Give us a little bit about your background and your data science journey so far. Right. So I actually was not in the world of computer science. Um, first, like I think initially, when I was starting out my college sort of career, I started out by studying in the States. Um, I'm based in Zimbabwe, in Harare, Zimbabwe, and I grew up there for my entire life. <laughs> but when I was going to college, I decided to, I wanted to do uh, molecular uh, pre-medicine. So I thought I wanted to be a doctor at the time, and I was, uh, I decided to roll in, enroll in a pre-medicine program in Pennsylvania. So I moved uh, just after high school and it was a very interesting experience being in Pennsylvania, very cold, <laughs> but um, it was just, yeah, it was a really interesting experience being there. But I think when I, so I had a period when I was coming to the end of my program and I was really thinking about whether or not I wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> and I think there were several things that made me decide that I'm not sure if this is like the career path for me, just because I think right away, like I was not enjoying labs. I, I don't like blood. We were like working with cadavers and things like that. And it was just a very grim sort of environment for me that I realized uh, I was just not really enjoying. And I also wanted to do things with more impact on, I would say, or not, it's not that being a doctor doesn't have impact. It obviously does. You're saving lives. But <laughs> I think I wanted to have it in, in a specific way. So I came back to Zimbabwe for a bit and just was looking at my community around me. And something that really stood out was that they were not I think I just realized that in the States, there's so much access to education, access to knowledge that is not necessarily readily available in other places in the world. And definitely in Zimbabwe, when I got back, I could see such stark differences um, in access to those, those things. And one of the areas was in access to um education about technology and just like generally the tech industry in Zimbabwe was, was fairly small and is still fairly small, but is growing. And uh, I also really wanted to like empower young girls. I think I really just thought about myself like, and was just thinking about what would a younger version of Marlene need <laughs> um, when starting out their their career experiences. And so just at, at about that time, I decided I want uh, to start this nonprofit 
And the goal of the nonprofit was to teach uh, Zimbabwean girls how to code in Python. Because Python is a really uh, interesting programming language. I think it's, it's really great for beginners to learn. Um, it makes things like, I think the barrier to entry for programming a lot lower. And um, yeah, just is a very powerful language, but is, is great to, to teach people. And so I started, I created this, this nonprofit organization with some of my friends, and we started running these uh, training programs in, in Zimbabwe, and then just connected <laughs> with some people from across the world. The Python community ended up being like this huge community. I did not realize it until I was like in it and uh, connected with people from the States, from Europe, from all over the world. And yeah, just ended up being a really uh, involved member in that community and actually ended up on the board of directors for the Python Software Foundation. And then, yeah, somehow as well, just found my way to NVIDIA and I'm working on on Python stuff actually with the Rapids team. So it's been, it's been amazing. <laughs> when you were pivoting from pre-med, uh, I, you know, I am not, I don't know anything about what pre-med education entails. So did you have, you know, and I don't want to sound pejorative towards pre-med, but my question is, was there <laughs> anything at all that prepared you for the pivot that you made? Do you think that, um, um, in specifically in pre-med, I would say no, <laughs> but the good thing is that I went to a, I went to a liberal arts college. So I was studying a whole bunch of, of things and I was able to experiment with different, um, different subjects that were not necessarily in line with my pre-med degree or in line with molecular biology. And in studying liberal arts, I think I, I did study things like for the first time I was like studying things like philosophy and like uh, thinking very critically about things. <laughs> and I think just that perspective of thinking critically about the world and also being in an environment, I think the United States is a really great place because um, you are in an environment where people are constantly innovating and constantly think, even if the ideas are not great ideas, they think they can actually <laughs> like carry those ideas out and like implement them and they're going to change the world. And like people have like believe in themselves and believe in that, that, uh, that they can do those things. And I think that was very different from what I had grown up with. And so I think it was the mindset more so that like studying prepared me for a pivot like that. Um, but in terms of like the technical aspect of it, I don't feel like uh, my degree program like prepared me for that at, like much, uh, maybe just like being able to understand things or break things down or things of that nature. But for the most part, I actually, uh, you know, self-study helped me quite a lot. When you were self-studying, what did that look like? Uh, so mm -hmm. the mental model in my mind is that you look around and see a lot of blood and cadavers and you're like, I don't know if I can take another <laughs> five years of this, much less another 40 years of this and exactly. <laughs> um, dive into learning Python and then found ZimboPy. Uh, 
How strong was your Python at the point that you decided that you wanted to create this nonprofit to um, help uh, other people in Zimbabwe learn Python and specifically um, other women in Zimbabwe learn Python? And um, how much were you learning along with the people as you began to uh, develop this nonprofit? Right. So I think when I started ZimboPy, I was really like beginner level. I think I'd only like, I was like at the level where I was experimenting with the Django Girls program. <laughs> and it just like, that was pretty much it. Like my level, like my experience with Python when I just started the organization was, was not like great. Um, but I was the people that founded, co-founded the nonprofit with me. Um, were like I co-founded it with one of my friends who was an engineer um, and was very confident um, in in his knowledge with software engineering. Uh, also someone else who <clears throat> was a software engineer and actually like uh, was managing some software engineering teams as well. And so um, they had a lot of experience with uh, the programming side of things and helped with like designing the program itself, I knew technology was important. <laughs> and I saw the effects of that in the States and how technology can be used. I think technology is a really great equalizer. You don't need like a house full of equipment or, or things like that. You just need like a laptop and you need to know your programming language. And you can, you can really do a lot with, with just that. And so for me, I knew those things. I knew those things like theoretically, but I hadn't actually started learning them for myself. But as we went along in the process, I think just being around people who were, who were the ones that were implementing the program, I also wanted to make sure I was hands-on. So I started learning so that I could teach. And so a lot of it looked like getting recommendations from my co-founders about what to study and and what would be a good way to learn as quickly as as possible and fortunately i was able to do that <laughs> which was which was fantastic so you are a director and vice chair of the python software foundation um i know it exists but i don't know exactly what it does even though i've used python for many years um tell us a little bit about first what the Python Software Foundation does and what you do in your roles uh, at the foundation. Right. So, um, so the Python Software Foundation is a nonprofit organization and it's the nonprofit behind the programming language Python. Um, and basically what the, the organization does, it, it, um, sort of oversees the, the protection uh, of the language of the Python Software Foundation. So it owns um, the IP rights to, to the language and makes sure that uh, the trademark Python is, is protected. Um, their Python is being used for like a, a bunch of different things and has a lot of other words like PyLadies, PyData, different things like that associated with, with um, with the language, and so making sure that those um, those words are being used in a way that uh, represents the community. Another thing that the the foundation does is that it um, part of its mission is to make uh, make sure that Python the Python community is 
uh, as diverse and international as possible. So we're wanting to see the adoption of Python across the globe. And at the moment, Python is actually being used in every single continent in the world, <laughs> which is fantastic, which is exciting, but there's definitely a lot more growth that can happen. And part of the foundation's role is to see uh, that growth be accelerated and uh, make sure that any place that there is a Python community, that the community is welcoming, um, that people feel uh, those same values that are maybe at PyCon US, which is like one of my favorite conferences, get translated locally and that people feel uh, like they enjoy being part of the community. So that's a pretty big part of what the PSF does. One thing that you've worked on on the Rapids team is something mm -hmm. that a lot of users have asked for for a long time, which is Rapids on Windows, which is right. very exciting. Uh, tell us about that and for any Windows users who are listening, I know that that might not be many because this is relatively new, but um, tell <laughs> us what they can expect from uh, Rapids on Windows and you know challenges in porting things for something that was uh, essentially built only with Linux in mind at the time that it was in early development. Right, definitely. So Rap is, is, is definitely built with Linux in mind. <laughs> and so um, it, it has been a challenge, I think, in the Windows users to be able to engage with, um, with Rapids as a whole. Um, and, you know, recently there have been great strides with with Windows actually in um, improving uh, WSL, WSL. So WSL is the Windows subsystem for Linux. Basically what it does is, is it creates a, a, a terminal <laughs> on your Windows machine that runs Linux. And so it allows you to do, you know, run Linux commands or run programs that can only be run usually with the Linux uh, system um, on Windows. And so we've been able to uh, work with WSL2. A teammate of mine, Ashwin and I, uh, on the Rapids team created a tutorial for uh, being able to install Rapids with WSL2. Um, it's it's a fairly simple process uh, to be able to do that. I would say if things go well, if yeah. <laughs> there are no if there are no packaging issues or, or things like that. Um, so there are some challenges in terms of things that we can probably <laughs> do better to help Windows users be able to access Rapids a bit more. But this is a great first tip, and I think if you are already using WSL two as a Windows user, this is going to make it a lot easier for you to get started with Rapid. What are your hopes for, um, and we'll do this in uh, increasing geographic resolutions, what are your hopes in the near term for the Zimbabwe Pi community, the African Pi community, and then the global Python community? I think for me, I have I definitely have different like, things I would like to see or think ways I would like to be involved in the different communities. I think for the Zimbabwean Python community, I'm really interested in education 
Um, I'm specifically I'm interested in empowering Zimbabwean girls. For me, like my hope is is to be part of that, uh, educating them on uh, and providing them with opportunities and resources in the in, in the Python space <clears throat> and in the computer science uh, space in general, um, and just making it easier <laughs> for Zimbabwean girls to get into this industry is something I would love to to be part of. And uh, to and I would love to see that happening as well, just for the industry to be more open to um, to people like me. Um, and then I think on a larger scale across the continent of Africa, I'm really hopeful and and wanting to see the industry <laughs> grow across the continent. I think there are a lot of amazing things that are are happening. There's lots of new startups, lots of new companies that are are, are springing up. And I would love to see that just improve and improve and um, for there just to be, yeah, just more growth in the tech industry across the continent and more synergy as well. Um, and then internationally, I would say, internationally, I would love to see just, yeah, more, more collaboration, <laughs> um, more collaboration with people around the world. I think it's now e easier than ever to collaborate globally. You know, whether that's on teams, whether that's in um, whatever spaces people are in, um, in open source, <laughs> in open source and, and things like that. I would love to see more collaboration um, yeah, across the world. So I'm very hopeful for those things, for sure. If you could wave a magic wand, what would you most want to be working on in the near future? That's a great question as well. I think for me, I've been very interested in, um, so I'm very interested in, in creativity and I feel like I'm a creative person, um, but I'm not sure how to express that. <laughs> um, and I want to have maybe more creative expression in the work that I do. And I think in code, I remember posting something like that on Twitter and someone was just like, but in your code, you can be creative and you're probably already being creative in your code. And that's true. <laughs> there is an element of a lot of, of software engineering actually is, is quite creative. But at the same time, I think I, I just am also looking for um, more avenues just to feel like I'm expressing myself a bit more creatively. I'm not really sure exactly what that would look like, but what I know is that I would love to combine uh, more creativity and, and code. Like I, I really enjoy software engineering and programming, but I also enjoy sort of creative expression and also teaching and, and sharing. Um, so I think anything that combines those things together would be great. <laughs> Yeah, I'd seen your Twitter post and I couldn't find a link to it, but like one of the very first stratas that I went to, there were some interesting early uh, floor exhibits that were like the intersection of data science and art. And I'm a big hip hop fan. And the one that I remember the most was somebody had made 3D printed grills, which were still oh, kind wow. of in style at the time that actually were based on a given uh, rapper's um, use of words. So they'd created like algorithms to actually like shape the individual. So it was like kind of like a 3D visualization of their cadence and word choice, like represented wow. like as a grill. 
you know, and, and there's people that are doing stuff like making, I don't know, neural net paintings. I think that mm-hmm. the intersection of um, technology and creativity is, um, it's something that isn't talked about very much. And I think mm. that sometimes there's a level of, um, I wouldn't say in curiosity, but maybe too narrow of a focus. And you had recently uh, put a um, post on your website, which will be linked in the comments about the value of curiosity. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts about that. And as a follow-up question, I'd like to know, do you think that curiosity is something that can be cultivated or is it innate? In terms of curiosity in general, I think that uh, there was a, a talk actually at uh, at an NVIDIA conference, I think in that article, I mentioned that talk. And I forgot, I think his name is Pat something, Pat, I've forgotten his surname, but he, uh, he worked, I think in the early days um, with Jensen, or I think he worked at Pixar, Pixar or something like that. And he gave a talk actually at NVIDIA's, um, at an internal conference. Um, and he, he was talking about curiosity. And I think out of that conference, um, I really started thinking about like the importance of curiosity and how, um, ultimately at the center of most innovation is its curiosity. So whether you are creating something that's brand new or, or creating something that um, has, or you're improving something <laughs> that was there before, um, I think if you aren't someone that's curious, then it's very easy to get stuck somewhere or it's very easy to just do what everyone else is doing and not explore things where, as I think even for software engineers, software developers, um, you can really push the bounds on that. And I would say in the space of, of uh, art and, and technology, I don't feel like uh, people have been curious enough to, to really explore the full depth of what that, that looks like. Um, I think there are a couple of people that have have been making some amazing generative art and and I follow some of those people as well. Um, But I think even the way that we communicate some of the things that we're building or um, make the industry more relevant to culture, more relevant to where people are at or more interesting, I think art and, and, and creativity in that sense and curiosity in that sense can actually push us forward there. <laughs> and um, I think a lot of the people who aren't interested in technology maybe would be if we were a bit more creative. You know, as things have become more specialized, I feel like there's not enough conversation between somebody that might be purely a visual artist and like purely a technologist, for example. Um, I think that one of the things that has accelerated data science is that it was something that still to some degree is something that people get into from a variety of different fields. Yeah. Um, so I've had uh, Rachel Allen as a guest in the past and her background was in um, cognitive neuroscience. Uh, I've known 
different data scientists that come from an economics background. Um, you come from a, a pre-med background and moved into being a software engineer. What would, in a perfect world, the education of a software engineer look like to you? I know that like at, in my home school, my alma mater, um, the engineering school was separate from arts and sciences and they took very few electives outside of actual engineering. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on how you would develop well-rounded software engineers that are able to make the kinds of breakthroughs that uh, Pat Hanneran? Yes, that's it. <laughs> yes, Pat. Um, you know, made it Pixar or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, it's another right. speculative open-end question. Yeah. I mean, I loved Pat's talk because he, he talked about exactly what you said. He talked about collaborating, like software engineers, collaborating with artists, and also really being interested in history and, and what, how, you know, for a lot of us, a lot of people come into the industry and don't know anything about the history of, of the industry who, you know, who created <laughs> computers, who, like, how did we come up with this thing? And um, I think knowing sometimes, even knowing about the fact that what we are doing was created by someone who may not have been a computer engineer <laughs> is, is, is kind of helpful. And I think for me, I would say I would love to, if I was in a program and it was an ideal program, I'd love to see, uh, you know, computer science or computer engineering mixed with, um, mixed with a lot of art. I would love to see it mixed with creative writing. <laughs> um, I think I would love to see it mixed with uh, a lots of communication classes. If yes. we can have good <laughs> communication classes yeah. as like a major requirement, <laughs> because a lot of, you know, a lot of when you're working on a team, on a, on a, on a software engineering team, it's a lot of communication. And um, I think that's a big part of software engineering that sometimes gets kind of pushed to the side. Um, even like confidence to building, just like sometimes I'm just like, I need a lot of confidence to like push my code to GitHub <laughs> where everyone can see it. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a class that we can take. I don't know who's teaching other people this, but I had to teach myself that um, definitely in the early days. But I think, I don't know, just lots of uh, soft skills, I would say are things that would be great if they could be taught. Um, but definitely things like art would be fantastic. Um, just philosophy. I think a lot of the, the software engineers that I know actually are, <laughs> are philosophers or like have had some background or interested in, in philosophy um, and just in like how things work, what the nature of things are. So that maybe history as well, um, just to know like how things came about, um, particularly of like inventions, like major creations and stuff would be very interesting. 
Um, so yeah, that would probably be, be my ideal thing. <laughs> um, you had mentioned that you were able to teach yourself confidence for any of our listeners or any of our hosts currently speaking that could use more confidence in their <laughs> working lives. Um, tell us a little bit about what you did to build up your confidence um, as you were stepping into um, being a software developer and continuing to be a software developer. You know, I had Wes McKinney on an earlier episode and he talked about continuing to have imposters para, uh, imposter syndrome. And right. I know that, wow. you know, lots of like technology. Yeah. I mean, like, and if Wes has it, like what the, yeah. <laughs> what about uh, us? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I know that a lot of, you know, the, uh, like data science, Twitter and technology, Twitter that I follow are people trying to normalize talking about feeling unconfident when it used to, and still is to some extent, culturally be the case that people want to project this kind of swagger in the technology field? Right. That's that's such a great question. I think for myself, there are several things that I, I think I, I, I did or that I went through to be able to feel more confident. The first thing is just um, talking to people who I think are are much smarter than me, <laughs> and like uh, and, and and making sure that I, I have conversations with those people. I'm asking those people questions, and I think on my team, for example, with the QDF team, um, there's everyone is super super friendly. Everyone is super super accessible. So I definitely know, like initially when I joined, I felt very insecure and very like concerned <laughs> about how I would come across or like not knowing certain things and um what was really helpful for me was being able to ask questions when I didn't know and uh being able to actually walk through some of the things that I didn't know with someone who was who had already been where I was and it really helped when the person that I was talking to was very like was also sharing their experiences of things that maybe they, it took them a while to, uh, to, to, to feel confident about. And I think for me, my teammates were, were absolutely, and have been absolutely amazing with that. Another thing for me was when we just started, reviews were a bit hard for me initially, because it's like, you're putting your work out there and then like, like you're getting feedback and you're constantly in this feedback loop where it's like you're you're putting your work out, you're getting feedback, putting your work out, getting feedback. And I think like for me, I had to like figure out how to separate my like to know that when someone is commenting on my code, they're commenting on the code and they're not commenting on me as a person. <laughs> and that was yeah. like, that's like something that didn't like like initially I didn't realize that and so I really struggled because like someone was just like oh you should you should change this because this could be better in this way or something and then I was hearing you could be better <laughs> you need to change yeah, because yeah. you could be better <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> um I think a couple of things that helped me like work through that with I mean journaling is the big part of my day-to-day -day, and like just if I am feeling really like emotionally overwhelmed about something 
writing that down and like I think writing it down for me clarifies like it, it puts like a separation between that in my mind um, in a more tangible way but like really also like thinking about those things that actually this is feedback on the code this is not feedback on you <laughs> um, and then like I think also I also struggled initially when I was when I was supposed to give reviews and give feedback to other people um, especially when I was people that are like I'm just assuming are better than me or people that have like have taught me stuff <laughs> and then I'm supposed to be reviewing their work and I think for that I just have to like remind myself that whenever I'm giving feedback or I'm reviewing someone's photo a lot of the times I'm just asking questions like um, I'm looking at what's in front of me and I'm, I'm just asking about it you know um, particularly places that I don't understand or, or things that I think could be improved. Um, I think just having more self-awareness can really help with the self-confidence issue um, as well, <laughs> just in general. So I would say like asking lots of questions uh, and then also just like creating more self-awareness. And I think maybe journaling, things like that are, are a really good practice to, to help with that. Those are all uh, great suggestions. And I think that one of the things that I think has been positive over the last eight years that I've been uh, uh, in data science is that that old school culture is kind of slowly going away. I know that there were times when I would look at people's questions on Stack Overflow and the comment was RTFM, which means, and pardon me for saying this, read manual i was like <laughs> exactly. it's like well, that's not that's not very helpful that's, that's gonna nice. make somebody you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they could use an acronym because people would say it often enough that you would understand like yeah uh, <laughs> that's really mean and that's like and and i mean i feel like i also hope that culture is changing it does feel like it's changing and i know um, definitely on my team, it, it, that's never been the case, but definitely in the industry in general, I'm, I, I think it's changing. I've seen like people posting on Twitter and like maybe like making a beginner feel bad and a lot of people just like piling on them, <laughs> which I'm not sure how good that is as well, but like, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but for the most part, I do think it's changing, which is great. <laughs> when you're, um, not, uh, doing the many different roles in technology that you're involved in. Um, what else do you like to do? Hmm. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> um, I, I, I enjoy, um, I enjoy the outdoors. So I, I'm not like a big, I'm not like a hardcore camper that just like goes off the grid, but <laughs> I like going for hikes. I like um, going and staying somewhere that's like relatively isolated and, um, and being surrounded by nature. I really like that. Um, I also really enjoy just like, like art is something that I'm interested in and I do some painting. I haven't done it in a while, but I, I do enjoy painting and I enjoy writing as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I used to think I could be 
I could write a novel or something and, and started writing a novel at some point, but <laughs> um, I don't think it was any good. I will close by asking you what I ask all my guests. Is there something that you wish I would have asked that I didn't? Maybe you could, you could have asked, what am I most excited about maybe in the Python space? <laughs> maybe that. And so okay, cool. that. Let's, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> okay. So I would say two things because <laughs> that's, I mean, it's one person, but it's, I would say two things, but I'm definitely excited about the growth that Python is doing in terms of like speeding the language up. I think that's happening in core development. Um, it's been very interesting just being part of the Rapids team and, and kind of being part of that movement with GPUs, but also seeing that taking place at the C Python level is, is such an exciting thing. And um, yeah, I, it, it makes me feel like I'm in the right industry right now. <laughs> We're in the right space in it. And then I'm also very excited about Python and hardware. Um, that's something I, I sometimes do in my, in my spare time and also would love to, to do as a, a way to teach people how to code is to get better uh, at programming hardware. So very interested in like circuit Python and like the Adafruit pro uh, products, Raspberry Pis and things like that. I love experimenting with that sort of hardware. So I'm excited about that as well. <laughs> Marlene, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your time and uh, thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Thanks again to Marlene. There are going to be links to many of the things discussed in the episode description, so check those out. If you like this podcast, give us a rating and a review wherever you get podcasts. That makes it easier for other people to find us and join the conversation. Next week, I'm going to kick off the Rapids Sports Spectacular, which is going to be a mini-series about the intersection of data science and sports. I hope you check that out. If you have any comments, if you have any questions, if you know of a good topic, reach out to us at rapids.ai or my personal Twitter handle at RealPaulMahler, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks.